Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola. I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And uh, we've got a, a nice episode for you. Uh, then next week, we're going to have our final episode of the year with Manar Muhawesh, who's going to join us for a little end-of-year episode. Uh, but I guess to get started this week, we, we, we need to uh, point the finger and... and make sure responsibility is placed where it belongs. Uh, Russia, right now I have to tell you is why, <laughs> is why it is raining outside my window. Yeah, Russia's why I keep yawning. And um, I think it's also why uh, I had trouble starting my car this morning. And... Uh, it has to be. There must have been like, the, if there have been threats of like engine manipulation. It's also why, basically... it's also why the trains aren't running on time and... It's why no one's retweeting me today. <laughs> it's just one of those days. I think Russia has to do with why um, you know traffic to the stuff that I've been writing is just it's just plummeted, and uh, for whatever reason, they've decided in the past week that uh, I I don't deserve any any audience for this week. No, totally. Russia is the reason that like my parents don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's why my boyfriend broke up with me and why no one came to my birthday party oh terrible. <laughs> um, none of those things are true sorry that would be very sad um uh but you know it's it's uh, uh, it seems that no listen listen but to be in all seriousness there are these people in france who are like um really pissed off because uh their their pay has been stagnant um the government keeps like uh decreasing their benefits um it's just like a rough situation financially and so they've been protesting but the thing is i didn't know this but what i recently learned is that um putin tricked them into into believing that Mm -hmm. they tricked he he tricked them into believing that they were poor that they're that they're yes (laughs) he tricked he tricked them into believing that they're poor and that the only way to to deal with that situation is to express your discontent in the streets. Um, and it's just really sad because like these people were totally fine and happy before. And then like Putin brainwashed them and now they're like upset and it's just, it's really a tough situation. I mean, just like, God, Russia needs to give it a rest. (laughs) I mean, this is literally though, like what it's like when you read Twitter. I mean, See, the unrest in France that got so much attention, but like I, I read several articles in very mainstream publications pinning the blame. Some of the articles would be a little bit more sophisticated. Like Max Boot in the Washington Post was like, um, Russia isn't the reason there's unrest, but they are certainly fueling the fire. And it's like, what are you fucking, like, what does that mean? Like, he even made, like, some weird, it was, like, he did this, like, analogy where he's, like, he's, like, Putin didn't, um, didn't start it, but he's conducting the orchestra now, and it's, like, what? He didn't write it, he didn't write the, that's what it was, like, he didn't write the music, but he's conducting the orchestra, and it's, like, first of all, that's a really stupid thing to say, and is not even a little bit smart, you stuck-up, snobby prick, okay? But second of all, like, there's no evidence for that. And I just find it fascinating that like these people, these centrists and of course neocons, but like these centrists continue to try to blame everything on Russia or some like outside evil actor. It used to be ISIS. It used to be Islamists. I don't know if you remember Kevin, but back when Occupy Wall Street happened, there was actually people claiming that like that like Islamists were involved. That yes. used to happen quite often. And now it's now it's Russia. It's just amazing how seamlessly that blame game gets moved to like the new enemy. And the failure of governance on the part of centrists, I I, I mean, n- no reconciling with how uh, you know, you obviously have nothing to offer. Well, we know they don't really have anything to offer right-wing people because one they're not dealing with their discontent economically um and obviously they don't want to give in to their ethno-nationalism and their racism which obviously we don't want them to but you know that's why they can't make them happy and then on the Mm -hmm. left on the left it's like 
while you're cutting social programs, you're engaged in austerity to balance the budget. You're doing all of these things that make life worse for people and you wonder why they don't support you. Oh, but, you know, in order to cover up the fact that you can't find a plan that can keep people from protesting, then it's got to be Russia. It's got to be that. Or it's got to be Islamists or it could be Iran. Maybe it's Iran that's sending people over to protest. Yeah, some like official de officially designated enemy would just blame them for everything. But it's it's gotten to the point where like, I'm not going to name any names, but man, I know that people who are listening have, have seen this too. Like someone that is like a smart person whose work you maybe follow, maybe you know them personally. Um, and you know they're smart, like on an intellectual level, like you know they're smart, right? Maybe they've written books that you that you learned a lot from, or like you've seen them in interviews and they, they have a lot of informative things to say. And then you see them spouting this nonsense, like about, you know, like Russia is behind the French unrest. Like, I, I mean, I'm just like, con like constantly like stunned by, it's like the fucking body snatchers. It's like, oh, they got to you too? Where you're just like, I mean, it's just made everyone so dumb. Like, it's unbelievable the number of people who fall for this. Like, we have a lot of inequality in the West, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of inequality. People are working harder, in some cases getting paid less. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Life in that situation is difficult. Like, being saddled with debt is difficult. Having children and, and, like, you know, not being able to, like, afford to, like, give them what they need is fucking difficult. Like, it's a difficult world we live in and to just blame everything on Russia. Just in, in a lot of ways, it also just shows how disconnected these people are. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you just don't know what it's like. Like, you really don't know what it's like. Like, when I see Mira Tandon, our favorite go-to punching bag, because <laughs> um, she just makes it so easy... But, like, she tweeted something along the lines of just, like, I don't understand why people are so mad at Macron. And it's, like, I don't understand why people are so upset. And it's, like, of course you don't. You're, like, a millionaire. And you you support the policies that make people like us poorer. Like, of course you don't get it. It's just these people are just so, like, so disconnected. They live in this bubble and they have no idea. Yeah, because... And that's why they're always surprised when, like, when like a right winger like who beats their chest uh, gets elected or Brexit happens, they like don't see it coming because they don't understand that people are hurting. Well, it's people like her who think they're so smart and pragmatic and able to come up with fixes. And, you know, like Center for American Progress would would claim to pride itself on having solutions that split the difference and are you know our are, are, are progressive compromises or progr pragmatic progressivism or whatever and uh you know they it just doesn't cut it you're not actually addressing what people are going through you're you're trying to put like a band-aid and you're trying to suppress the anger and discontent rather than address why people are upset and i think it's also important before we move on to just quickly mention that a lot of these protests, they were, you know, they didn't stay just on this issue, but didn't it come from a fuel tax? Yes, so, on so, ordinary people. A so, fuel tax on ordinary people rather than the companies who cause climate change. So it's important to talk about, and I think people like Naomi Klein and others who have been out front on climate change activism have been pointing out that, you know, one of the failures, the chief failures of Democrats, people like Neera Tanden, these centrists, these liberal centrists, is to pass the costs of responding to climate change on to poor and working class people. And you wonder why they deny that it exists. You wonder why they seek refuge in these climate hoax and wonder why they deny science. They want to so that they can mobilize and argue that they shouldn't be enduring this so, sort of hardship. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be that unfathomable. And I think it's really dangerous. I mean, I'll just give a couple quick headlines that I have in front of me. Um, we won't spend a lot of time on climate stuff to, for this episode, but just, you know, in the past week, we have things like the Arctic acts as a global cooling system by reflecting solar radiation back into space. But this cooling shield is shrinking. The 12 lowest sea ice levels on record have all occurred in the last 12 years. 
Um, you know, I'll give one more example. You know, we have um, we have basically the United States showing up. You know, we 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 are responsible for more admissions than uh, the, more emissions than many countries combined. We show up to a UN climate meeting, and what do the people representing the Trump administration do? They're touting the value of coal. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. Like we live in such a perverted reality right now that they're Jesus. saying that in order to they're going to a meeting about how to address the climate and they say we need more coal um, <laughs> um and you know you've even got the epa saying um that you know our the dangers that we have are more severe than ever and that's under trump when they're actually politically discouraged from making those kinds of scientific findings but even the deniers in our government can't suppress how severe things are getting. But then as we talk about this, it's like, look, if the policies are going to be fuel taxes that are on poor and working class people, then and we're going to blame Russia for them getting angry, then obviously the whole not, not only are the people of France screwed, not only are the people, you know, who run these countries um, going to have turmoil, but the whole planet is basically fucked yeah we're fucked i think we should just stop recording and just go home <laughs> all right that's i'm it. just feeling very no no i think we're, we're packing no, it in but like jesus christ um one more thing i did want to say though is uh i just the the tweet i was talking about from near tannen before actually what she was saying was i don't understand like why are people how can people be mad about a about a fuel a, a, a tax on like a a fuel tax for green energy like, I, like, it's like we're addressing climate change. And it's like you said, it's off, it's offsetting. Like, it's putting the cost onto working class and poor people rather than the actual oil companies that caused the problem to begin with. Um, and that is, like, the essence of, of centrism is, like, living in this bubble where you don't get why that's a problem, where you don't get why it's a problem to, like, basically charge people who don't have money for the problem created by massive billion dollar companies. Like anyways, uh, so why don't we, why don't we talk about uh, the recent death of historian William Bloom? Yeah, I, and... I, I want to talk about that, but is it okay if, you know, w one more thing? Cause, cause, oh, I, yeah, cause, cause I, I was, because I was, um, I have a confession to make on the show um, uh -oh. is come to my attention that, I am part of a Russian plot to undermine Amer oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Americans' faith. Uh, Americans' faith in in the rule of law. Actually, let me get the let me get it completely. Um, yes, I am weakening faith in the rule of law and our justice system. On behalf well, of as, Vladimir Putin. Uh, well, as someone who um, used to have complete faith in the American justice system, it really wasn't until. I met you, Kevin, and started listening to Brian Becker's show, which you do a segment on, um, on Sputnik. It wasn't until I heard that uh, show that I, which is, which is, as we know, uh, receives funding from the Russian government. It wasn't until I heard that show that I started to suspect that perhaps the American justice system may not be quite fair. So let, um, me, let me set this up just so people know yeah. exactly. Uh, there is a show that I do weekly with John Kiriakou, who is a former... CIA officer, um, he's responsible for, uh, he went on TV and, and said that the Bush administration was waterboarding people and that it was torture. He became a target. They caught him sharing some um, information with a journalist um, involving the, the identities of uh, undercover CIA agents. He got in trouble for it. They punished him. They put him in jail gleefully uh, for uh, two and a half, a little more than two years he was in prison. He does a show now with Brian Becker, who Brian Becker's a longtime uh, left-wing activist who's been doing work. Um, isn't he part of PSL, I think? I think he started it. I think um, in, he's in D.C. He's done a lot of work. He, does, he travels a lot. He's got a lot of experience with internationalist movements in um, various countries throughout the world. Um, he does a lot of um, left-wing organ... He, he's, you know, he knows the history of left-wing movements. He knows radical history pretty well. Um, he was at Attica um, or in, involved in supporting people when um, the Attica um, massacre was 
unfolding. Um, so he's done a lot of solidarity work um, over time. And so they host the show um, um, and they call it Loud and Clear. Uh, and then every week on Thursdays, we do a show called Criminal Injustice. I do it myself. And then um, his name is Paul Wright. And he is with the uh, this outfit called Prison Legal News that's been around for a while. Paul's a former prisoner. He was incarcerated for several years. Um, and then he developed this sort of zine or, or paper that could get to prisoners. And it gives people updates on what's going on in the um, mass incarceration system. It gives people information on how they can better defend themselves, work their cases. Um, I think uh, it was really successful. And so he turned it into a publication and it has pretty good circulation. And so anyways, we both do this show and we were accused. Um, it started in September, but it appears now that by Washington Post flagging it, that the researchers at um, the Center for Strategic and International Studies are proceeding to uh, continue this work. Um, and they have pegged our show on Sputnik as part of um, attacking democracy. Um, I'll, read the, I'll read the actual quote here. And this is uh, hilariously a part of their Defending Democratic Institutions project. But uh, um, I'll, I'll get to this part here that they say. So, so they mention our show and they mention that there's a show on RT called America's Lawyer which I'm not uh, really familiar with. Um, so um, I'll save talking about that for another day. But but they mentioned that we have a show, uh, the criminal injustice segment. And this is the paragraph here that's most important. Having long realized that the most effective disinformation is based on a kernel of truth, Moscow latches on to legitimate criticisms of the justice system, Shows like America's Lawyer and the criminal injustice segment on Sputnik's Loud and Clear often weave genuine concerns and viable grievances in with misleading narratives. Important causes are hijacked, making Kremlin-linked outlets appear to be the champions of justice reform in the United States, while in reality, their programming is designed to exacerbate grievances and weaken our institutions. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've caught on to you, Kevin. <laughs> so they've got us. Um, I just, you know, you know, what can I say? I mean, the, the, the most amazing part, though, is that they go on and you know how they uh, you, you start from this frame. And like you've already addressed, you know, the idea that we would be undermining faith in the justice system. I mean, it's incredible. I, I, mean, I guess Putin's been laying the groundwork for some time because if you go back to 2010, 45% of Americans, according to the Pew Research polls that were done, were saying there are too many prisoners in uh, incarcerated, that, there, that we have too many prisoners in the U.S. So, I mean, he, he really knows how to, to, to pick us apart here in the United States, I guess. Uh, it's just like, this is like more of the blaming, like instead yeah. of accepting the fact that like, these are basically dissidents. Yeah. They're accusing dissidents of like, only having these opinions because of Russia. <laughs> like, and being part of a Russian campaign as opposed to caring about the US and just using this as a platform to like discuss inequality and unfairness. Uh, um, well, there's that, but then the focus, I think, should also be on the money that CSIS stands to make and, yeah. and, and how they front for the military-industrial complex. So I do just want to yeah. briefly add that uh, they talk about how they believe that Russia is going to hack and leak against the justice system. With no evidence <laughs> whatsoever, they say that right now Russia is planning to penetrate court computer networks and judges' personal email accounts to expose unflattering communications, to fabricate communications, to steal information, to alter um, orders, to release draft decisions that haven't even been published yet. So like rulings. That sounds that, insane. And there is absolutely nothing in this graph to say where they get this idea. The only reason you'd have this idea is if you were a think tank that depends on military uh, defense contractor money and cybersecurity contractor money, and you wanted to plant this 
fear in the minds of politicians on on Capitol Hill so that they would give you more money to fund your research projects so that they would give you more grant dollars that could then be used to give more contracts to the people in this cybersecurity industrial complex or the military industrial complex. And then that it's just part of, you know, what they're doing. I mean, we know that like, I, I have some of the stuff in front of me just to quickly say that, you know, Northrop Grumman gives them about half a million dollars, um, uh, uh, like, uh, to fund their think tank. Um, they built their office with, a million dollars from the United Arab Emirates, by the way. So as far as like undermining faith in the rule of law and justice, I mean, you're taking a lot of money from the uh, this Gulf state that has been responsible <laughs> for um, so much like human rights abuse and, and whatever. And and but yet it's us. And I haven't taken a single dollar. I don't get paid anything at all for going on this show every week. Well, that's another thing is a lot of these think tanks, that's a really good point you make. Um, a lot of these think tanks, you have to look at where their funding comes from. They're always, like they're almost, some of them, it seems like the majority of them receive a significant amount of funding from the UAE. Um, a lot, like, I mean, the Center for American Progress receives a significant amount of funding from the United Arab Emirates. Uh, one of the most repressive governments, most tyrannical governments in the world. Um, and not only that, but oftentimes they're receiving corporate money from weapons contractors, from cybersecurity companies, um, from sometimes they're receiving money from the State Department. There's like different mechanisms the state that the State Department funds various think tanks. So it's like you always have to keep like a suspicious eye out when it comes to these kinds of findings. And oftentimes you'll see these are the people that are being quoted as experts in newspaper articles. They're like experts at, at this think tank, at the Brookings Institution, an expert on Russian cyber threats at this, you know, at the Institute for the Study of the Promotion of War. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like you got to it, That's almost always the case. They almost always the Atlantic Council. The Atlantic Council receives a significant portion of its funding from NATO, as well as several various uh we repressive governments that are happen to be U.S. allies, as well as the U.S. government itself, and literally every major weapons company you can think of. So it's like, yeah, these people absolutely have an interest in pushing these points, and it's just amazing. Like the whole think tank industry has made it so that you can like basically launder uh, like these corporate views through this like bullshit lens of like academia and of expertise, you know, not and to, it's so dangerous. Not to mention that like at no, at no point do I think Paul or myself or any of these people involved on in the show were we ever like contacted by, uh, so one of the people involved, her name's Suzanne Spaulding. She used to be a Homeland Security official under Barack Obama. You know, nobody's asked us for like, like any questions about what we're doing, uh, not even like accusatory to try to like, get to you know some kind of you know to try and expose russia so to speak nobody has reached out to ask us um so the final thing i'll say on this and then we'll put this to rest for now until the next uh <laughs> until i get accused of undermining democracy again um uh is that i love this i love this part though toward the end where uh these people who are promoting this thing say that we all have an obligation um, to uh, to go ahead and co to, to commit to the rule of law and the fundamental belief in our system of justice. We must work to improve our justice system and work to correct the perceived flaws. Um, and, and basically saying that, like, even if Russia's doing this, we have to know that they're going to take advantage of our judicial shortcomings. That's how they describe it. And um, and and that we. Well, it's more than just shortcomings, but that's a nice way of downplaying the severity. It's quite, of, quite a euphemism, yeah. But, but, but I, I love this part, and I'm like, you know, yeah. I mean, but that's like my, my like our show is like basically going on and on, um, and it's why probably we don't usually raise these issues, just because I've dealt with it um, uh, weekly on this show instead of here. But you know, it's talking about like why we need sentencing reform, why we need to. 
um, reassess this whole thing of life in prison without parole, why we need to look at felon disenfranchisement, why we need to maybe not have life sentences or, or, or rethink how we do life sentences or why we need much, much better prison health care because it's very barbaric there or why we need to end censorship of like reading materials, like even prison legal news get censored and they're not allowed to deliver their paper to people inside the prison door. You have like the author of the book on the Attica uprising gets banned from being read in state prisons in Illinois. And like, so, you know, if you want to like not look like a, you're, you're, you're living in a country that's run by some tyranny or whatever, then you know maybe you should take some of those things seriously but that but obviously like csis doesn't care about those things like the fact that they added this graph in their writing about this russian conspiracy that they're hyping here is just window dressing because it's just to make them look more legit and even-handed than they are because they really don't care about mass incarceration in the united states they just want to help people get more money to fight a common enemy yeah, exactly. So, all right. So um, this week, sadly, we had the death of Bill Blum, who was a very well-known, um, at least in left-wing circles, he was very well-known for his work. Um, I just think the, the establishment knew of him, too, because they challenged his, uh, they challenged their constant uh, descriptions of uh, empire building and na- and the the way they wage war and challenged their histories of military interventions. But he was well known um, as an anti-war advocate and someone who documented the United States foreign policy and how it promotes imperialism throughout the world. But I, why don't you just set him up a little bit more? You had some quotes from him you wanted to read. And then we're going to go through the way the New York Times decided to pay tribute to him. Well, so, I mean, he's written many books that have, like, actually helped inform my perspective and understanding of imperialism. But he also has this website that he continued to update, the Anti-Empire Report. And I just, I feel like this, these three short paragraphs explain, like, and, like, everything in such a nutshell. He, this is, like, when did he write this? This is from November 3rd, 2015. Um... And it's, uh, he just like, uh, this is, why does the government of the United States hate Syrian President Bashar al-Assad with such passion? Is it because, as we're told, he's a brutal dictator? But how can that be the reason for the hatred? It would be difficult indeed to name a brutal dictator of the second half of the 20th century, uh, a second half of the 20th century or the, the 21st century that was not supported by the United States. Not only supported, but often put in power and kept in power against the wishes of the population. At present, the list would include Saudi Arabia, Honduras, Indonesia, Egypt, Colombia, uh, Qatar, and Israel. The United States, I suggest, is hostile to the Syrian government for the same reason it has been hostile to Cuba for more than half a century, and hostile to Venezuela for the past 15 years, and earlier to Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and to Dominican Republic, Uruguay, and and Chile, and so on, continuing through the World Atlas and history books. What these governments have had in common can be summarized in a single word, independence. Independence from American foreign policy the refusal to be a client state of Washington, the refusal to be continuously hostile to Washington's officially designated enemies, insufficient respect and zeal for the capitalist way of life. And I feel like that perfectly, like in a nutshell, describes like everything he was about. He was about exposing like the hypocrisy and the crimes committed against countries who happen to be independent. Um, And I just... uh, and in case, like, he has this, it's like, he's actually kind of funny if you read his writing. It's, he, he's a little humorous. Um, so this is actually, like, a good reminder for just, like, the people listening. It's, like, a good argument to make. And he's, like, the guy who would compile lists of, like, the number of countries the U.S. has overthrown and stuff like that. So here's, like, another little uh, blog post he wrote. Who are you going to believe, me or Dick Cheney? I've spent about 30 years compiling the details of the criminal record of the of U.S. foreign policy in concise lists, and I'm always looking for suitable occasions to present the information to new readers. The new book by Dick Cheney and his adoring daughter is such an occasion. And then he quotes Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney in their book, saying, We are, as a matter of empirical fact and undeniable history, the greatest force for good the world has ever known. Security and freedom for millions of people around the globe 
have depended on America's military, economic, political, and diplomatic might. Um, and then go, and then he say, he's quoting Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney, and then he says, well, nothing short of a brain and soul transplant would change, um, would change, I don't actually know this word, it's like a word in a different language. Um, anyways, uh, would change Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney and, and his carefully conditioned offspring, as he calls her. But for all of you out there who still live in a world of facts, logic, human rights, and human empathy, here's the ammunition to use if you should happen to find yourself ensnared in the embrace of the likes of the Cheney reptiles, including Mother Lynn, who once set up a website solely to attack me and seven others, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so here's, these are the lists, right? And I want people to listen very carefully and remember this. Since the end of World War II, the United States has attempted to overthrow more than 50 foreign governments, most, most of which were democratically elected, dropped bombs on the people of more than 30 countries, attempted to assassinate more than 50 foreign leaders, attempted to suppress a populist or nationalist movement in 20, in 20 countries, grossly interfered in democratic elections in at least 30 countries, plus, although not easily quantified, were involved in the practice of torture more than any other country in the world for over a century, not just performing the actual torture, but teaching it, providing the manuals and furnishing the equipment. Anyways, I just wanted to read those, like that just kind of like, like are, are just a good reflection of the sort of work that he did. Um, and I don't think there's anyone else who's done that, like who's like compiled lists. Like I just, I, that was like a short list he made, but like, I don't think there's anyone else doing that kind of work. And so he's just like a huge loss um, mm -hmm. for mean, anti-imperialism in the West. He was my introduction to uh, the like CIA overthrow, the, the meddling in governments, just the compendium of history that he would put together. He authored Killing Hope, which was very well known, uh, covering U.S. military and CIA interventions since World War II. He also had a book, Rogue State, uh, and, and it was sort of like a guide to all of the horrible acts of the United States um, in basically the past century. And uh, these were these were very influential. Um, you know, they uh, he had a sort of like reputation of, of people in academia publicly resenting what he was doing. But but privately, he knew all of the people who were working on these subjects were reading his work because they they knew that he was telling the truth, that this is actually what happens um, and has happened in history. So it's it's a tremendous loss. Um, it's not a loss if you're the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay, so this is where it gets crazy. Yeah, you got it in front of you? I have it in front, and, you know, normally I, I probably wouldn't take your time. But once I looked at the headline, uh, which was flagged by several people, um, and then... Uh, I started to read the obituary that was published for him. It's just insane. It's it's insane. I'll, I'll just lay a marker here. It's insane that anybody who dies, unless their names are Henry Kissinger or Dick Cheney or someone <laughs> else of that caliber, someone who's been responsible for genocide or war crimes, unless uh, and was able to engage in these acts and never be held accountable, unless that fits the template, you know, then I don't think you deserve this sort of uh, zealous obituary and or this sort of like condescending, uh, very resentful obituary that was published here in the New York Times. It Like nobody deserves that. Nobody deserves who dies to be remembered in such a contemptuous way. But obviously- Yeah, really disgusting. Really disgusting. But, but you'll see here. So the New York Times- and the headline was, nothing like about William Blum being just a um, an, an anti-imperialist writer, nothing of just like William Blum, U.S. policy critic and author of books, died. No, here it is. William Blum, U.S. policy critic cited by bin Laden, dies at 85. So disgusting. Like, that. that's just like... That's the headline. Okay, and so then in the lead paragraph, that's what they lead with. William Blum, who raged against United States foreign policy in relative obscurity, okay, relative obscurity, and they continue, mm -hmm. four decades until one of his published anti-imperialist broadsides, 
actually impressed that they actually use those words. They usually try to dance around and not call it what it is. Broadsides received a surge in sales thanks to a surprise public tribute from Osama bin Laden. And then they say he died on Sunday in Arlington, Virginia. He was 85. Okay, so basically they're saying the only reason why he's anyone that anybody knows is because bin Laden read his book. <laughs> Such assholes. Which it, like, and, okay, so then they mention his son. They go on to say he was a computer programmer for the State Department for some time. He took part in the great anti-communist crusade is how he referred to it. Uh, he became disillusioned over the Vietnam War. So did many, many other people. After inaugurating a short-lived bi-weekly underground newspaper called the Washington Free Press, he joined in the anti-war protests and then he quit his job in 1967. Then he wrote, and again, how they, how they attack him, wrote largely polemical articles and columns for the Foreign Policy Journal and Counterpunch. Um, and then they go on to say, and then they have this story, which is really, really, again, like, why is this in an obituary? Unless you want to make sure people think a dead person is trash, you don't put this kind of a story in an obituary. So here it is. Faking a flat tire near the gate to the Central Intelligence Agency headquarters in Virginia, he surreptitiously recorded the license plates of employees who were entering and leaving. He revealed the names and home addresses of more than 200 of them in his book, The CIA, A Forgotten History, U.S. Global Interventions Since World War II. They could have been spies, said Lewis Wolf, a founder with Mr. Bloom in 1978 of what is now called Covert Action Mag Magazine. They could have been clerks. Um, so I don't know what the point is of that story other than to make him look like a total crank and, and, and lunatic. Um, and also, um, I noticed that it would appear they're not including the full title of this book because this U.S. global intervention since World War II, I think that's the Killing Hope book. Um, so I don't, I, unless that book became Killing Hope later. Uh, but in uh, 2006, he was interviewed by the Washington Post. He said his mission was ending at least slowing down the American empire or at least injuring the beast. Still, no one was more surprised than he when a recording emerged in 2006 in which Osama bin Laden recommended that all Americans read Mr. Bloom's book, Rogue State, A Guide to the World's Only Superpower, first published in 2000 and updated in 2005. It vaulted almost overnight from about 205,000 on Amazon sales ranking to the top 50. It stood at about 58,000 a few days after Mr. Blum's death. Again, like the whole idea that without bin Laden, who would really know who Mr. Blum was? And they quoted him because he had this like kind of funny quip about when he when when he learned that bin Laden had said this about him. He said, this is almost as good as being an Oprah book. <laughs> He's a funny guy, <laughs> which, you know, is it's kind of a joke. But the way that The New York Times put it in here, it makes it seem like he doesn't take seriously that bin Laden's a terrorist. Um so, or, uh, so then Mr. Bloom denounced the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks in New York and Washington, said he would not want to live under an Islamic fundamentalist regime. That's good. Um, but he did not disavow, they, they claim this, he did not disavow the recommendations or express regret that bin Laden, the orchestrator of those attacks, sh um, who, who shared his disdain for the policies carried out by the department where he had once worked. I mean, fuck you. Like, like why is he supposed to... Uh, distance himself from uh, opposition to U.S. empire because bin Laden didn't like U.S. empire. I mean, it's this like very politically <laughs> immature guilt by association that like, yeah but you know that's what that's what media american like corporate media outlets do right like actually we shouldn't really expect anything um like do we expect anything different from the new york times I mean, I think that this is a more like uh, uh, a staggering presentation of what probably runs throughout most of its culture. Right. And then it's just like they're extreme. Like they, that's what they do. They attack anti-imperialists who are effective. I, also and like, he... I like that they go on and say he reiterated his unpopular but not unique position that American intervention abroad had been breeding enemies and inviting terrorism. He blamed Washington <laughs> and, and uh, he blamed Washington for replacing secular governments in Afghanistan and other countries 
with Islamic fundamentalist regimes, reflexively favoring Israel over the Palestinians and supporting Saudi Arabian dictators. Those, now, those are all true things. Like, no, those I'll are also all... <laughs> say that the idea that at this point in time that they would write this unpopular position, uh, well, I don't Not know unpopular. if it's so unpopular anymore, even in political class, uh, we're going to Hillary talk... Clinton actually said as much. We're Hillary gonna... Clinton yeah, said as much. And we're going to talk about the Yemen vote in the Senate and some developments around challenging uh, U.S. military involvement. And there are politicians, uh, not just Bernie Sanders, um, but but they are pointing out that the effect we're having is actually helping to breed terrorism. So I don't think so. I don't think that that's, yeah, that's a, a an point. unpopular position anymore. I think most... Well, I think the unpopular position specifically, like it's become the idea that like we're radicalizing people over there by bombing them might not necessarily be unpopular anymore and is like uh, something that a lot of people agree with but the idea that overthrowing secular governments and replacing them with islamic fundamentalists is still something that nobody wants to admit for some reason mm. because we're still doing it i mean that's what we didn't that's what we try to do in syria it's what we did in libya it's what we did in afghanistan i mean that and and yes like there are like that's not and that's not what they mean when they talk about yemen uh, breeding terror because of what we're doing in Yemen, we're breeding terrorists. And that's not exactly the same thing as um, saying that we keep overthrowing secular governments and replacing them with, with religious extremists. That is true. So actually, maybe that's what they're taking issue with. And I imagine it might be, in fact, now that I think about it even more. But sorry not to ruin your argument. <laughs> no, no. I think I think that you raise a really good point. Uh, so, that's, um, so that's obviously a despicable way of remembering bill bloom uh we think we did it better um there are other places obviously counterpunch where he was publishing they've 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 put up um a couple pretty good tributes to him uh he apparently did what a, it's a rough year man rob robert perry and yeah. like just the kind of people that we've lost but yeah but um you know he uh he did it, he did continue to do his work um even though he was in failing health it i do think it's admirable that he did fight through a lot of what he was going through. You know, he's 85 when he died. That's pretty old to still be uh, going around and doing speaking engagements and um, and like writing updating daily. your blog regularly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even so, like he was on uh, dialysis and had problems, which can be really taxing. And uh, he still kept it up. And I think only since September had he really been out of commission and not had had people not been hearing from him regularly so they knew he was in um in severe health so i mean man really like fuck the new york times <laughs> yeah fuck the new york times last time it was cnn yeah this time it's the new york times and paul ryan yeah sorry i just had to throw that in there fuck paul ryan um, which is actually a good segue for what you wanted to talk about next Yes, yeah, she's just spontaneously saying that, and people might not know why we were. They're like, "Yeah, sure, I'll agree with that," but like, why specifically right now? Because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always down for fuck, fuck Paul Ryan chance. But you know, can can you tell me what it is today? Like, what did he do today? Well, for his last cowardly piece of shit act in Congress, Paul Ryan wants to make sure that we continue starving Yemeni babies. In case there was like a part of you that maybe still full for, that for some odd strange reason didn't completely hate Paul Ryan. Like he just wanted to make sure that he got rid of that last little shred of doubt that you should hate him. Yeah. All right. So we'll start with the negative and then we'll end on a more positive note about uh, the Yemen vote in the Senate, which did pass the Yemen war powers resolution in the Senate did uh, go through all of the procedural votes that it had to went it survived amendments um, and and it passed. Uh, but uh, the thing that unfortunately we have to focus on is what piece of shit Paul Ryan decided to do with the help of the GOP and oh the votes of about five Democrats in the House. So here, to catch you all up, there's been, and we've talked about it on this show, but there's been this War Powers Resolution under the War Powers Act of 1973. Basically, is Congress, it's its way of asserting that we never declared war in Yemen. You're not authorized to engage in uh, military operations 
And so they're basically telling the Trump administration that the U.S. should withdraw troops. Now, is it mostly symbolic? I don't know. I mean, they're saying that we believe you're violating the law and we don't support that you're using U.S. military in this conflict. So I do think that that matters. But anyways, let's put that aside for a moment. Paul Ryan decided that he didn't want this vote to happen in the House. He knew it was happening in the Senate, but he realized that there was a way that they could stop it in the House. And so they put in a rule that was attached to the farm bill. The farm bill. Now, this, this is the agricultural farm bill. This has nothing to do with war. It's what makes it even more obnoxious. So he put in there language that said that there will be, that during the remainder of this session of Congress, there will be uh, no votes on any concurrent resolutions introduced with respect to Yemen. No votes whatsoever on war powers resolutions that involve Yemen. So he, <laughs> so he, he, he put a whole wholesale bar on any business um, and put, brought it to a screeching halt. Uh, Representative Rokana and Thomas Massey, who's a Republican, have been leading the process in Congress. And uh, basically... Uh, not only did he get this language into the farm bill, which has nothing to do with war, but he also uh, got it so that they basically gave up their authority uh, to, they, they were basically forfeiting their constitutional authority, which is kind of alarming. I mean, they're basically saying yeah, that, kind of, <laughs> I as I'm downplaying it, so to speak, but, 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 you know, they're basically saying that like, you know, for, from this time to this time, you can do whatever you want in Yemen, Donald Trump. We don't care. Uh, we're not going to fight you over it. <laughs> this is basically, and we're even going to and we're even going to take away our own ability yeah. to fight you. Yeah, even for, though to we fight have you over power it. under the Constitution, we're going to say that we're not going to. We're going to cancel that out. <laughs> we're canceled. <laughs> the Constitution is canceled. People and, are so fucking authoritarian. And so, um, it's the names of the Democrats who did this: uh, Jim Costa, Representative Al Lawson. Representative Colin Peterson, uh, Representative Dutch Ruppersberger, and uh, Representative David Scott were the five votes. They voted for this rule, and because the rule passed by a narrow vote, 206 to 203, Rania, the Democrats <laughs> basically put them up over, and so now it was in there. So like the Democrats got wise to what the GOP was trying to do, and it seemed like they were going to force the... GOP to put forward a different rule that had nothing to do, you know, like was normal, what you would expect yeah. in a farm no, bill. No, no, like weird war thing. Yeah. In it. Oh, by yeah. the way, this wasn't the first time that they did this. Back in November, they put um, a one line that was actually less, um, that it was more restricted. Like this one covers all resolutions on Yemen, but back then huh. it just referred to what was moving already. And they put it in a bill that involved managing wolf populations <laughs> that no one reads i mean yeah there's lots of so let me ask you something with these five democrats like did they ever get questioned about okay this? so like, here did, did they not know okay, or did is... they know and not care okay here you go you're gonna like this so one of the guys his name's colin peterson he was asked about his vote um, oh i saw this uh, you were... <laughs> can you explain your vote on the yemen resolution peterson yeah it didn't belong in there uh, okay, why not? Couldn't you just have come back and done another vote? And he said, no, we worked for two years on this farm bill, and I'll be damned if I let anybody screw it up. Uh, oh, my okay. God. Uh, do oh, you, wow. Do you have any thoughts about the war in Yemen? Peter said, I don't know a damn thing about it. And it should be in there, and it, it didn't do anything anyway. Um, all right, so he sounds like um, a stark raving madman. And Wait, where is this guy a representative from? I'm sorry, like what state? I'm gonna judge the whole state based on what you tell me. Uh, okay, let's let me, let me pull him up. Uh, should only take just a minute. I and just want to know which state to think is stupid. I believe he's from. Oh, sadly, Minnesota. You. Why yeah. sadly? Fuck Minnesota. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry if any listeners are listening from Minnesota. Well, you guys shouldn't have elected this man. Mm. <laughs> wow this is an opening for another bernie crap you need to you need yeah, to step I think, up i think we just lost all our minnesota listeners i may have offended them but no no i mean i'm saying that like he needs to be targeted i mean obviously he sounds 
What a jackass. I'll be damned. And then, and then he said, then they said, I'll be damned if some starving children are going to spoil my bill. So he goes, what do you mean by that? Peterson, all it did was say they couldn't have a vote or something. Didn't authorize anything. It didn't, you know, our party gets off on tangents. It's ridiculous. Oh my God. (laughs) sounds insane. Wow. He does. He just sounds like a cranky old man. Just like. And he obviously has no idea what is going on in the Yemen war, which is so sad. He's like, what's, he's like, what's a Yemen? <laughs> is that, can you farm it? Can you grow it? On your... <laughs> is that why it was in the farm bill? <laughs> can I eat it? <laughs> can I eat a Yemen? Can I grow a Yemen? Ugh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, but That uh... is just sad, man. Wow. Oh, maybe democracy is stupid. I'm <laughs> just like, why is this man in the position of power? But, wow. Uh, in the Senate, uh, just to very briefly cover this before we end our show, they did pass. And and I think both of us agree that that, that is, on the whole, a pretty positive development. And I think that if you trace the, uh, the, the way in which there was bipartisan opposition to any action by Bernie Sanders and Senator Mike Lee on bringing forward this war powers resolution to today, how it's actually shifted entirely. You basically had a 20 vote swing almost. You've gone from 60, 40, 40 against to 60, 44 passing resolutions against the Yemen war. Um, Mm -hmm. and and to challenging Saudi Arabia. And a lot of it has to do with Khashoggi, the murder of the journalist. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's significant. I mean, don't grant it, like Bernie Sanders and Mike Lee and Chris Murphy have been pushing for this for quite some time now. Um, And they definitely deserve credit, absolutely. But I will say, like, Jamal Khashoggi, like, his, his murder definitely swung a lot of those votes. Like... And it does speak to a certain, like, it's good what happened, but it does, it does speak to a certain, like, it's really, it's sad that the, 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 that, a fam- that like a man-made famine that start, that starving babies, which we've had pictures of since 2014, by the way, um, 2015 starving babies weren't enough in 2014. They weren't enough in 2015. They weren't enough in 2016 or 2017. They weren't even enough in 2018 until the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. So I mean, think about that. It's something that's definitely to reflect on. Um, but that said, like, it's very, very, very good and important what happened, and it's pretty historic. Both Chris Murphy and Mike Lee actually said what you just said, too, by the way. Because, Did they? Yeah, they, 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 they said, you know, obviously Khashoggi's life is valuable, but weren't the lives of people who were dying, you know, five or six months ago, weren't they just as valuable? Didn't they deserve... Didn't they deserve us mobilizing to help them when we knew what was going on? And uh, and the sad answer to that is no, they didn't. Like not not to Congress, yeah. Obviously. Not to Congress, exactly. Not to Congress, and and that that's really like that's pretty damning. Um, um, but that said, nonetheless, you know, looking forward, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You know, I think you were. were well, I was going to say more, what so. you were going to say, which is going forward, Saudi Arabia faces a lot of opposition. I think even though there was a defeat for this resolution, because ultimately it is highly, highly unlikely. I mean, I'll celebrate it with everybody else if we wrap the show. And for some reason in the next few days, we find that the House found some way to get this to the floor and vote on it. And um, But I think it's a mess um, just because... Not only even if they were allowed to do it, you know, so they could try to vote on it. But I think it's just hard because it's stupid fucking parliamentary politics that like the thing Mm -hmm. that the House is voting on is actually different from what the Senate's voting on. And I just don't think they have enough time. So basically, basically the the whole process failed um, as it's continued to. It failed all Yemenis who were hoping that people would stand up for them. Now on the, on the, there is also the ceasefire though. I yeah, just want to yeah. throw that out there. Yeah. You, you okay. can, you can give an update on that. Go ahead. Well, it's just the, 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 the there was, the, there was ceasefire talks um, in, was it in Geneva? I think they're happening in Sweden. Or, 
In Sweden, okay, sorry, somewhere, somewhere in Scandinavian area, <laughs> somewhere up north, um, there were peace talks and uh, between the warring parties, and they actually came to, to some sort of ceasefire agreement. I'm actually not sure about the specifics, but I know it was covered heavily in the news yesterday, and that's a positive development as well. Um, uh, yeah, I have it in front of me. It involved the Hodaida, which is the really critical port city for getting any kind of humanitarian aid in from like the Red Cross or any other groups um, that are helping uh, people enduring the worst famine, you know, and, the, and trying to survive under the cholera outbreak that's been so devastating. Um, you know, the numbers that they were reading on the floor that uh, Bernie Sanders was talking about is that uh, somewhere around like 50% of children right now are expected to be physically stunted from malnutrition. Oh, this, this, the, what, we, what we've done to Yemen the past four or five years um, is that that's going to have like consequences for the next two generations. Like, yeah. like children are going to grow up with intellectual, like with like developmental, like intellectually impaired, developmentally impaired, extremely developmentally impaired. Like that country is, it's going to, I mean, it's there's no way to to fix what we broke. Um, it's really disgusting what was done. It's I would say it's probably worse. It might be actually. I don't know. I wasn't around in the '90s to remember this. I was like a kid, but um, you know, this could have more greater graver consequences than like the sanctions in Iraq mm. um, in the '90s that that are that were estimated to kill like have killed like 500,000 uh children under the age of 5. Um they're saying this year alone 85,000 children in Yemen died of like starvation yeah. and preventable diseases because of this. So and this is again this has been going on. Like I actually I was looking like through some old, I was looking through old tweets to see what I had been saying about Yemen years ago. I was just curious. Um cause I like I Yemen was never really my focus, but I mean Back in like 2014, there was photos of children, like of malnourished children. The same photos we're seeing today, and no one gave a shit. And the photos just were increasing because the number of children suffering from this were increasing. This has been happening for like the past four or five years. So this isn't like, it's just like, why did it go on this long? Like, yeah. why did it take this long for people to care, you know? Because if it wasn't Saudi bombs, they were bombs falling from U.S. Right. drones that were destabilizing parts of Yemen and contributing to uh, the sort of tensions that were happening politically. I mean, I know that Ali Abdullah Saleh um, had to deal with um, an uprising and, and then other had to deal with divisions politically. And um, I think he got he, he he ended up die. I think he was killed. I think he was actually bombed and killed in an attack. I don't know. There's been he's been reported to be killed, but I never know. Was it ever confirmed? I don't remember. Well, but in any in uh, any case, yeah, I'm not being very good right now. But in any case, it's a good that this vote passed, and then hopefully, like you know, uh, next uh, the next Congress will be better. I don't know. <laughs> like I well, I just uh, I, I I want I want to. Uh, make one point um, and then I'll, it'll be my last thing that I say on this because uh, I appreciated that uh, one of the last things that the Senate did before passing this resolution was challenge the Trump administration as well as the o Obama administration on their bullshit around the Yemen war to an even greater extent than just the war powers resolution itself. So do you, do you know what I'm talking about, Rania? Not exactly, no. Okay, so you know how they've been claiming that when you are refuel refueling Saudi aircraft that you're not engaging in hostilities? Ah, okay. So um, this, and it actually didn't come from a Democrat. It came from a GOP senator. His name's Todd Young, and he's from Indiana. And he went um, and he offered an amendment, and he made them put in that uh, that the Senate believes that if you are refueling um, any non-U.S. military aircraft um, for the purposes of this war in Yemen, the civil war in Yemen, that you are engaged in hostilities, that you are engaged in the war in Yemen, um, and then they passed it, and it and it passed, and they put it in there. And I mean, it's it's incredible that you have to spell that out that anyone absurdly thinks that that does not involve war fighting. But um, I I I suppose um, I'm happy that. Uh, they are standing up to this bullshit because absolutely, um, if you're offering 
soldiers, personnel, weapons. You know, you're facilitating arms deals with Saudi Arabia. You're giving taxpayer money mm-hmm. to them to make it possible. They, they, you know, Saudi Arabia could not fight this war without us. You know, I think we've said that before. Of course but not. It needs to we be could end it, they could end it tomorrow. Yeah. Could end it tomorrow. All they right. absolutely could not fight it without us. Saudi Arabia couldn't exist in its current form without the United States. It's like, it's like Saudi Arabia is like a wholly owned subsidiary of the United States. If we're going to be honest here, but on that note, I think we're it's also we're... Jared Kushner's favorite vacation destination right now. Apparently, <laughs> Jared Kushner, I hear, might be chief of staff. Oh God. Yeah, he's like interviewing for the job. He's like. Anyways, which would mean like, that like Mohammed bin Salman would be chief of staff of the Trump administration. Right. They're like just like a bunch of bros, rich dudes. <laughs> One, ugh, okay. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. We always we keep we got to stop ending our show on such a negative note, but I have nothing positive to say. I tried. I really did. I said something happened that I thought was pretty good about. Putting oh, language. I know. We, I know something. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, is not going to be going on the. APAC trip to Israel um, for freshman Congress people. Um, and then also Rashida Tlaib, the um, Palestinian American Congresswoman, well, newly elected uh, Congresswoman uh, from Michigan, is going to be organizing her own congressional delegation to Palestine. That's amazing. And that's awesome. Yep. Anyways, on that note, <laughs> there, I just wanted to say something positive. Quick, I end it before else. we go off on any tangent. Yeah, just we should end it before I start talking about how it's all hopeless. Um, oh no! How about how about um, that th- uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, and thank you to our patrons. And uh, you know, again, I, I think we're going to put out over the the next few weeks. Um, really, if if you do like our show and you enjoyed it this year, and you weren't a patron. Uh, we really encourage you to become a supporter of our show. I mean, we're planning to continue this show and keep producing it. Um, we've had a lot of success. I think people who are guests have really appreciated being able to come on the show and have liked um, engaging in conversations with us. Uh, we think we've put together some really good episodes, and uh, you know, we like doing this work, uh, but we can't do it without your support. Yes, what Kevin said, times two. So now you say goodbye, and we actually (laughs) sign off. Oh, I'm supposed to say goodbye. All right, so on that note, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.